0: Well, good morning. I want to actually start off a little bit different this morning because I feel like in worship the Lord just kind of gave me a a way. So if you wouldn't mind, I just want to pray together. Um, As I'm sitting in worship, I felt like the Lord just reminding me the whole time that in, in this place called New Life Church, everybody's welcome. And in our society of great division, what we can do to help that is to sow seeds of unity and say, everybody's welcome here. And one of the ways we do that, I think, is by praying for our leaders and blessing people, no matter who they are. So would you take a moment and just pray with me? I want to pray for, I want to pray for our governor, and I obviously want to pray for our, our president who's sick this morning. And I, all I want to do is do one thing. I just want to pray a blessing over both of them. Would that be all right? Yeah. Father God, this morning we lift up to you um, our governor. We pray uh, for Janet Mills. We pray this morning the blessing of the Lord upon her. Lord, I pray that your hand would be stretched out over her. I pray that her her family would be blessed, like it says in number six, that she would be blessed, that the favor of God would be upon her. Uh, we thank you today that uh, you've called us just to bless and and pray for our leaders. And this morning, President Trump in the hospital, we pray, God, you would bring healing to him. We pray, God, that you would bless him, that you would bring favor upon him, that you would touch him and his family this morning. And we just declare that in the kingdom everybody's welcome. We all come in the same way. And so, Lord, parties don't matter at New Life Church. What matters is repentance. And so whoever you are out there this morning, no matter what your parties are, we just invite you into the kingdom. And we pray that this day would be a day we'd go forward in unity and not division. We pray for our country. We pray today, God, that the United States of America would begin to unify again, Lord, and that we would be a part of the solution and not the problem. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 <laughs> Sorry, sometimes you just got to follow what you're feeling the Holy Spirit doing. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, I want to just welcome a few people online. I know we have. Uh, I think Lil Kamiri's out there with Doug and Linda Hajar, good morning. Mary, uh, Pat, Fred, Catherine, got a whole list here. Um, Lionel and family, I think, good morning. And then over in uh, the student center, I am told there's a, some people as well, the Thibodeaux and the WeMets and Eldridges and the Colomies. just good morning and thank you so much for joining us. We're glad that we're together, maybe in multiple places, but together in spirit, amen? So... Um, I am going to talk about, I'm going to continue on Pastor Justin's um, going through the book of uh, First Peter, and today's subject is actually suffering, and I'm going to talk about three types of suffering, but before I get into those three types of suffering, I want to sh- share with you a fourth type of suffering, so that if the video is ready, I, I want to just preview it real quick, so, or, I mean, I want to preface it, so put it up there, and, um, but, oh, okay, this is me throwing some garbage away on a Thursday. And my wife's driving the car, and as I take off, I realize my wife's going to gun it because I've been married long enough to know that's true. This happened about a month ago. Here the gunning it comes, and there I get dragged and fall off in faceplant on the parking lot. Oh, it hurt. <laughs> you say, why would you show that? I don't know, because everyone's been bugging me to show it at some point. That is the suffering for being stupid. We're not talking about that today. How many have been there? You ever do something stupid and you suffer because of it? I actually still have a tiny little thing in my lip where I drove my tooth through. It's kind of still there. Everything else I think has healed up well. <laughs> Katie can't believe I showed that. She's like, what are you doing? No, you know, when you're, when you're uh, middle-aged, I'm 41, and I think the thing that hurts... That's what they say, right? Is that wrong? I'm sorry. I'm young. In my young, my young 41, I, I, I do believe, though, my pride was hurt the most because if I had fallen off that truck at 20, I think I would have jumped back up. And there was no jumping back up. That was painful. So we're not talking about that kind of suffering today, but why don't you stand with me as we read out of First Peter chapter 4, um, As is our our tradition here, we love to stand to honor the reading of God's Word, and and, um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19 is going to be where we go today, and we're going to talk of three different types of suffering. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, sorry, I forgot the last two words, (laughs) But rejoice, I'll keep going, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, and for the, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will become, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Father, this morning, I thank you that your word is living and active. Um, and I pray this morning that we wouldn't just have a great teaching To fill our heads but i pray that the living word brings us to an encounter with jesus that changes our life lord i thank you today that your word is powerful and that is what you do so lord as we open your word today and dive into it i pray your anointing would be on my lips and on our ears and on our heart teach us all things today we ask in jesus mighty name amen you may be seated all right so i got my video out of the way We're not talking about about, uh, suffering for doing stupid. Um, But there are three types of suffering I want to talk about. I want to talk about suffering for doing evil, suffering that we all go through, and what the scripture calls suffering for righteousness' sake. So the first one is suffering for doing evil. In verse 16, it says, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or a criminal or even a meddler. Which is super interesting. Everybody else, I don't know if you're like me, but you read through that, you're like, yeah, okay. Everyone should suffer if you're a murderer, if you're a thief, if you're a criminal. Yeah, you should suffer. But a meddler should meddlers suffer? Why? Why did we put that in the same thought process as murderer? I think this is interesting. So just to, so we're on the same page, meddler isn't something we use very often as a word. So I want to define it. Meddling is to involve oneself in a matter without right or invitation. And a meddler is a person who tries to change or have an influence on things that are not his or her responsibility. I've probably meddled once or twice. <laughs> Anybody else with me? It's probably true. It's hu- Some of us, it's human nature, and I think more so than it used to be. S- check this out. It says, according to new research, human brains are actually hungry for information. This hunger, it says, can devolve into unhealthy snacking snack-like behaviors, now that we have unfettered access to random information. Anybody find themselves just scrolling relentlessly through the internet, reading stupid things and being like, why am I still up for at 11 o'clock at night? Or is that just me? Yeah, we just get sucked into this void of, like, I need information. And secondly, a study out of UC Berkeley has found that, inf- this is really interesting, that information acts on the brain's dopamine-producing reward system. And what that means, it's the same way you react to information the same way you do good food or money, right? To the brain, information is its own reward. Your, your body gets excited about it. You just want to get some more information above and beyond whether or not it's useful. It doesn't really matter. You just want the information. And I think that's what, when the scripture is talking about meddling, it's talking about, do we really need to be involved in everybody else's business? It's interesting. Proverbs twenty six seventeen says this. It says, I think it's out of the message, uh, Pastor Justin may have actually said this either from the pulpit or just maybe to me personally. Um, but I said, "You you grab a mad dog by the ears when you butt into a quarrel. That's none of your business." <laughs> I think that's a great verse. You grab a mad dog by the ears. So that gives us a, a picture of that. And then 1 Thessalonians 4 says this. It says, "Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs." I mean, that that's the call of a Christian uh, of a, part of the call of the Christian life is not to butt into everybody else's business, but to live peaceably. To, to, to mind our own affairs and walk through life. Here, here's the promise. Each one of these sections I want to do, I want to do, um, you know, suffering for evil, suffering we all go through, and suffering for righteousness' sake. I want to talk about a promise, and I want to talk about how do we respond to that. Because the reality is, there's probably somebody, some people, right now listening to this message that are suffering because you've done something wrong, right? We've all been there. You, you're sinning, you've sinned, and you're now reaping the consequences of that in your life. And this is the promise. It's out of Galatians. It's, it's not exactly a fun promise, but it's true nonetheless. Galatians says this. It says, it says, God, uh, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And the promise is that no matter what we, we do in life, we ultimately will, outside of the grace of God, we will, we will reap what we sow. And so it's, it's, it's foolish to think that we can, we can sow into our lives evil and try to reap righteousness. It just won't happen. So what do we do? What do we do if, if this is you and I'm, I'm talking to you in the suffering place today and you're like, hey, you know what? My life is seemingly falling apart and I know that it's actually my own doing. I know that I've, I've, I've been at a place where I've sinned against God, I've sinned against people, and I'm reaping the reward of that. Well, I want to encourage you today that there, there's hope, right? There's hope in the gospel. And I want, I want to encourage you to do two things. The first is this, is simply come to God and ask his forgiveness, right? The scripture tells us, it says, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's your first priority. More than pro- Quicker than trying to fix your own problem, call a timeout and say, you know what, I need, to, I need to fix my heart and I need to fix my relationship with God. We've all been in those positions where we're, we're reaping the consequences of our own bad behavior, and usually we try to fix it our own way Until we get to the place where we 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 realize we can't. Well, I want to encourage you today, get to that place right away and realize you need to go to God and ask his forgiveness. And the second part is this is Romans 12, 18. It says, it says not hard, but it's a good encouragement. It says, if it's all possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Isn't that interesting? The scripture actually encourages us. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily say we have to work everything out. In our in our society of great division, in our society of going through like social media feeds and all we see is this vitriol and anger coming out, the scripture encourages us to mind our own business and as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And so I just encourage you, like, if we just take those two steps of getting things right with God and trying to keep our heart right with people, we'll go a long way toward not suffering for our own bad actions. So if, if that's you today, I just want to pray for you on, on each one of these. What I, what I want to do is I want to actually believe that the Word of God is living and active, isn't it? And that He can actually do something. So if you're, if you're, whether you're here in person at one of our locations or at home, and you would say, hey, that's me, I know that I'm actually, I'm actually reaping the consequences of my own bad life choices. Well, that's okay. This morning, I just want to pray with you. Why don't you just put your hand right over your heart. Father God, I just thank you today that there's always a second chance. I thank you that you always draw near to us and like the the boy who spent all of his inheritance in your parable, the father came running back to him when uh, he was so bad and he came home, the father was so ready to receive him with open arms. So Lord, today I pray for that person who says, God, I just need you, I've screwed things up. It looks beyond repair, but I know, God, that you can do it. I pray for that person. I pray you give them the gift of repentance over their life. And you give them wisdom on how to walk out a place of peace, as far as it depends on them, with all people. Amen. That's what the scripture says. It says this. It says, <clears throat> if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, thief, criminal, or meddler. And that's kind of the first part. Or, or being stupid, jumping on a truck and falling off and smashing your face. <laughs> all right. So we got that out of the way. Now the next two are what I call the good ones in terms of actually going after something rather than just trying to clean up a mess. We all got to clean up messes if we make them and that's, that's good too. But I want to say these are the ones we're going to go after something. Um, the second one I, is not actually in 1 Peter uh, chapter four, but I want to address it because it's in all of our lives and it's the suffering that we all encounter. And somebody would say, wait a minute, as a Christian, I, I encounter suffering. I thought I gave my life to Jesus and there's no suffering anymore. Well, I would just encourage you, um, that's not the case necessarily, that there's this thing called life that we go through, and the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, that things just happen. And a great parable I want to turn our attention to is in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And it's uh, verse 24 through 27. And Jesus is actually... He's actually talking about how you lay a foundation for your life. But there's an interesting truth in here that I think we should all grab. And it's this. It says, therefore, Jesus says this in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus is saying this, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. there's a a great, great amount of truth here. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. It's interesting to me that as Jesus is talking about how we build our life on the Word of God, he talks about it in the context of their storms coming. Whether you build with the Word of God or not, there is storms coming to our life. The winds are going to come. The, the streams are going to rise. You know, the rain's coming. And Jesus says, do you want to get through it? Then you need to build on the Word of God. Yeah. Amen? Right. How do you build? How do you build on the Word of God? You build two ways. You, interestingly enough, I think for, the, for a, a, a while in my Christian walk, I thought you built on the Word of God simply by reading the Word of God. But that isn't what Jesus said. He said, if you hear my words, and then there's an and, And do them. If we don't do the Word of God, we enter into something that's called deception. And that's where we think we're in obedience when we're actually in rebellion. And so Jesus says, You want to build a current foundation? You want to build a foundation in the Word of God? Do two things hear my sayings and do them. And the great thing about this is that no matter where you are in your walk with God right now, you can start today. Or you can continue today strengthening your foundation in God by opening the Bible, by hearing what God has for us, and then actually doing it. As simple as that. So the storms come to everybody, right? The storms could be whatever in life. We've, anybody ever experience a storm in life? Let, let me know. I'm not just talking to myself. Okay, we got, we got hands all over the place. In 1950, an Albanian woman, and I'm going to butcher her name, so I'm so sorry, um, Agnes Gonza Bajaksu. There we go. She started a little organization, in her words, that would care for the suffering of the world. And th- These were the suffering people. These were the people in the storms that they faced. She wanted to care for the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those people who were unwanted and unloved and uncared for throughout society. It's really interesting. The entire purpose of what she did was to create an organization to care for people in their time of need and in their time of suffering. Anybody uh, ever heard of that name before, Agnes Ganjabadjaksu? I'm sure I screwed it up anyways, right? My Albanian's terrible. Now, when she died, she was known all around the world by another name, and she was respected by countries and religions all across the globe as Mother Teresa. But what we love about Mother Teresa is that the first thing she did was she just cared for people and she loved people, and she recognized that we all go through suffering, and she just wanted to be with them. One of the first things that she did, I don't know if you know this, that really triggered her heart in serving um, the, the poor and suffering, was she simply didn't want people to die alone. How many know that's a, that's a storm we all go through, right? Unless Jesus comes back, and, and I'm here for that moment, um, it, but at some point we all die, you know? Um, and so to, to say, look it, I want to be with you in your moment of suffering, I think is a beautiful thing. Uh, Psalms 34, 19 says this, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, anyone know the end of it? The Lord sees them all of them. That's right. He delivers them from them all. He sees them through them all. He doesn't say none are the afflictions of the righteous. He actually says, hey guys, be careful. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but, but I'm going to deliver you out of all of them. All right, so So what then is our our promise? What is our promise to get through? How do you get through the storm? Well, it's actually in the parable. Jesus says, you want to get through every storm in life, I'll equip you to do it. But it's not just by standing by and uh, twiddling your thumbs. It's you need to build a foundation in your spiritual house that can withstand the storm. And sometimes we're going to need, you know, maybe we're early on in our Christian walk or may, whatever. We have our ups and downs. And maybe our, our, our house, our structure is going to get beat up a little bit. And we need people like a Mother Teresa whomever to come and help us kind of get rebuilt, right? Maybe we need that, that to happen. But ultimately, Jesus says, you build your foundation. You get into the word. You hear the word. You do the word. And then you will actually withstand the storm. That's an amazing promise. Amen? Amen. I love it. And the third one is this. I want to, let me, let me pray for you. I want to pray. I want to pray for anybody who says, you know what, right now I'm in the storms of life. Um, You know, um, no matter what that may be, you know, just the stuff that you, it wasn't brought on to you because you did something wrong and it wasn't brought on to you um, because you did something stupid. It just is life. Life happens. You know, people, there's ups and downs, there's loss, there's um, brokenness. Um, And if that's you today, I just want to encourage you that God is faithful, that he's with you and he won't leave you. One of the wonderful things that's said in the Gospels is, is where Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I love what Pastor Jimmy Evans says about forsake. He says that means I'll never turn my face away from you. So no matter what storm of life you're in today, know that Jesus is not only with you, but he's never turning his face from you. You have his attention. If that's you, put your hand on your heart today. Father God, I just thank you that through every storm of life, God, that you look at us, that you're with us, that you walk with us through it. Lord, and your word says that the righteous are delivered from every one of them. So today I pray that promise that into their life, that they would know, God, that you're gonna deliver them, you're gonna walk with them through it, that this is their day. Your word says today is the day of salvation. I pray, God, that they would see your hand and your grace walking them through today. And I pray you'd give them hope once again, that you would let them see the light at the end of the tunnel, let them see, God, that your word is true, and let them see that every, every bit of their foundation they've built, Lord, all those words that you've spoken to them that they've obeyed, God, they're going to see the fulfillment of your word come to pass because you're a faithful God. Lord, we just thank you today for that. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And the third one is this, is uh, suffering as a Christian. Verse 12 says this. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer. We went through all that. Thief, criminal, or meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. <laughs> when uh, many, many of you know that you know, Justin and I grew up together, and when we first came to the Lord... We—I don't even know. if It might have been this scripture. It might have been a different one. But I remember, we—we um, we were part of a tradition in Christianity that didn't believe in certain things. They didn't, you know, um, we didn't use the word "saved" and all that kind of stuff. So there's just different things. And so we kind of got a lot of heat for what the Lord was showing us as we kind of walked into the the uh, the truth of God's word. We we got a lot of heat. We were brought before people, and it was very interesting. So anyhow, I can remember Justin's, Pastor Justin saying this. He says, Tom, if we ever stop getting persecuted, I'm going to worry. <laughs> because it's just the idea that with, with coming into the faith, persecution just happens, you know? It just does. It's part of our walk, and it just became part of what we did. Is just recognizing, like, part of how we walk through this life as a Christian, when we bear the name is not only the persecution that comes our way, but actually our heart and how we actually handle it. And I think that's the big part, especially in our day, is to say, how do we actually handle the persecution that's coming our way? So suffering as a Christian, the, the Scripture says that could be you're insulted because of the name of Jesus, you're persecuted, um, maybe you uh, are doing the right thing and you get in trouble anyways. You get, you get in trouble for doing right, righteous, the right thing. You, know, you suffer for righteousness' sake. Paul said this. He listed a couple of the ways that he suffered. The first part of it's a little confusing. He said, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus once. Minus one. That means he actually got lashed 39 times. He got five times. That happened to him five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was pelted with stones. Three times he was shipwrecked. It says, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've const- I'm constantly on the move. Um, I've been in danger rivers, danger from bandits, danger from fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger in the sea, and even danger from false believers. (laughs) The guy kind of had it a little rough, right? And so I look at that, I say, okay, does God call me to anything but but pure obedience? My wife and I actually, um, we Decided to join a ministry in Tacoma, Washington. That was for um, you lived in a low-income housing project. So we did that for about eighteen months, and I can remember um, the way the ministry people were talking to us about it. You know, we're kind of going back and forth: Is this right for us? We're gonna, you know, I think we—I ha- don't know if we start. I think we had a child at the time, or maybe we were starting our family. Um, I think we had at least Josephine, and we're like, okay. I can remember saying, "Is it safe? You know, I don't want to do anything if it's not safe. I got a kid, and I just remember." Um, the, the leaders of the ministry just paused with that look on their face of saying, when did we ever allude to the fact that this was going to be safe? <laughs> like, that just isn't a priority for us. And I can remember Melissa and I having to sit back and say, okay, what do we, what do, we do with that? Like we, have a, like, we had Josephine at the time. We had a little child. Do we want to put her in a position of, of not safe? Now, you know, not safe in the U.S. is a lot different than not safe in Pakistan or something. So it's a different level of not safe. But still, you got to process through that. And, of course, we did it, and it ended up being a, a good experience for us. And we, we had it. We had shootings on our front yard. I broke up a knife fight. We had the FBI over. It was, we had all that stuff. But at the time, you don't necessarily care. Like, you're just in, in what God puts you in, you know. Um, so, I just want to say, like, even in America, even in our day, the highest goal we have is not our own safety. You know, one, one theologian one Bible professor's name is Wayne Grudem. puts it this way: He says it's important that we remember that the world's goal of preserving one's own life at all cost is not the highest goal of Christianity. Obedience to God and faithfulness to Him in every circumstance is far more important, and that's why Paul could say, "I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." Isn't that true? Amen. Okay, so here's our promise. There's, there's uh, you know, suffering that happens for what the Bible calls for being a Christian or for righteousness sake. And I think sometimes we only think that that is happening overseas. Um, but anytime you stand up and proclaim the name of Jesus, not every time, many times, you'll find there's, there's persecution of some sort around. And this is actually what the Scripture says about that. It's in Matthew 5, Uh, chapter 510, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And this is the most profound promise yet, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here's what I want to say. Maybe you're, you're, you're doing your best to live for God and everything seems to be going wrong because of it. Maybe you just gave your heart to Jesus and all hell's breaking loose. Maybe you're pursuing what God has for your life, and it looks like everything is against you. Well, I want to encourage you that the devil's done his best, but his best is not enough. That God's going to get you through, that he's going to walk with you through it, that 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 ultimately, ultimately, you're victorious in Christ. No matter what happens, that Jesus is going to walk with you through that. So if that's you today, if you say, hey, I'm, I'm giving it my best, I'm going after Jesus, but it just seems like everything's falling apart. Would you put your hand on your heart? I want to pray for you today. Oh, there's hands going up. I love it. Father God, we thank you today for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that our highest priority is not our safety and our comfort, but our highest priority is to see the name of Jesus lifted high. Lord, I pray for everybody who's got their hands on their chest today. In this moment, God, I pray that promise that they would realize is the most amazing thing that they are blessed because they're persecuted. And you actually said the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Lord, I just pray they, 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 they feel the, the 100% access to your kingdom, to your authority, to your presence, because ultimately that's why we do it. That's what we're after is, is, is you, God. So today I pray for that man, that woman, that young person that says, I'm giving it my all, and it just seems like things are going against me. Lord, I pray for refreshing this morning. I pray for courage this morning. I pray they would choose to step it up a notch. And where the enemies come after them, I pray they'd, be, they'd realize the devil's done his best, but his best is not enough. And they're going to go after it stronger. They're going to preach it harder. They're going to love people and bring just your mercy and grace into people's lives as best they can this week in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. <sighs> ah, anyhow. Well, this morning, um, this morning, we are going to do communion. And it fits right in with it, because we're talking about suffering. So if you're on on site here, pull out your little plasticky packet. If you're at home, um, I'll mumble for a minute so you can run and grab some crackers and juice. Uh, But I want to do communion a little bit differently. Um, Well, honestly, it's the same as we always do it. But I'm going to tell a story, if that would be okay. Because something I want to share with you is I want to share... a story of the greatest suffering. You know, there's a suffering in life that the Lord says we may all go through. And we've talked about that, you know? There's lots of different suffering we may all go through. Ultimately, we hope that all of it brings glory to God. You know, if you if you if you suffer because you you sinned in your life and you've done something wrong, do you know that that ultimately God can redeem that and cause that to bring glory to God's name? You know, the murderer in that scripture, it says, don't suffer for being a murderer. Do you realize, even in that situation, if you're a murderer, God can turn that whole thing around and turn it for your good. It doesn't justify what's happened, but it just means that God can win with any hand dealt to him. That's just how it is. God can take the worst of situations, and if we submit them to him, he can bring glory to his name in every situation. And I think no matter if it's suffering for... um, doing evil, or just the suffering we all go through, or suffering for righteousness sake. That's, a, that's actually a privilege we have as a believer, is to recognize that we can take that suffering, we can offer it to the Lord and say, God, this is something I have to offer you today. What would you like to do with it? But there's one suffering, one instance of suffering that, that, that really is only Jesus's to handle. And that was when uh, he went to the cross you or I, is never, we're never going to be asked to suffer for our own sin. That's the point of the gospel. You know, the Lord's not going to say, I want you to, you know, uh, I'll forgive you, but go do these things to make it all right. That's, that's not the gospel. He says, I've suffered for you, and you get to receive that by faith. So this morning, I want to actually talk about that story of Jesus' suffering, but I want to talk about it from one man's perspective, and that's the centurion. In uh, the Roman days, interestingly enough, I was reading up on centurion, you'd think a centurion would be over a hundred men. They think more realistic, because cent, cent means a hundred in Latin. Um, my one year of Latin, I think I'm kind of accurate on that. I could be wrong. But um, it's not the case. I think there are about over 80 guys is what the estimate was. A centurion was a, a captain of over about 80 guys in, in a Roman army. And um, I want to set some foundations as we go into the story just to recognize that if you were a a soldier in the days of Jesus, there's probably a high probability that you understood combat, that you understood um, how to fight, that you probably saw death. Uh, The truth of the matter is death was entertainment. Uh, unfortunately, in some parts of their culture, so everybody saw death. But as a soldier, there was, I, I'm, what I'm getting at is a sort of hardening um, to an understanding, like, you knew how to kill people. You knew how to break bones. You know how to bust up people's lives. You know, you following me? So today, as we remember what I call the beautiful, terrible truth of Jesus's suffering, because it's beautiful and terrible all at the same time, I want us to look at the centurion's perspective. You see, Jesus died for all men, everywhere that's what his suffering was for but in the midst of 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 suffering for all men and women everywhere it included the centurion that oversaw his beating and his lashing It included that man and i believe jesus did jesus and how he handled his suffering actually witnessed to that man amazingly the book of psalms and the book of isaiah actually give us details about how jesus suffered um, I, they're probably, if we're going to be honest, if we dug into it, they'd be like R-rated details. I'm going to try to keep them PG, PG-13, because my six-year-old is listening over in the student center. Um, after Jesus appeared to Pilate, punches Pilate allowed the people to pick which criminal they wanted to let go, Barabbas or Jesus. And of course they said Barabbas, and Jesus was sent away with the captain of the guard. In Psalm 22 tells us this. Jesus, uh, Pilate said, "Go, go whip him, go scourge him. That was the the tradition of practice of the day, that was, that was a whipping. What they whipped them with was a, a, a whip called the cat of nine tails, and it, um, I'll just leave it at the fact that it was a torture device, um, probably more than it was necessarily what we think of as a whip. But Psalm 22 says this, that those, those captors, those people that whipped Jesus were actually what the Psalm says like bulls of Bashan raging around him. So imagine soldiers, I don't know how many were there, even if it was 10 or 20 or 5, I don't know how it was, raging around Jesus, that's what the psalm says, like mighty bulls encircling him. Picture the war-hardened soldiers, the trained killers. It says that as they whipped him, as they scourged him, as they beat him, that his bones were all out of joint. It says that he could actually count his bones, which is kind of the disgusting part. Um, but he was probably torn up so much that he could actually see inside his body and count his bones. That's what it says in Psalm 22. And in Isaiah 52, it says this, that his visage, that word's really important because it means his image, but it also means his face. It says his visage was marred more than any man. So we're getting a picture of how Jesus suffered and we're, we're, we're thinking about these soldiers and what they're doing to Jesus. And here's the most amazing thing to me. In Psalm 30, verse 14, and in John 19, in two places, it says that not one of his bones was broken. Why is that amazing to me? Because these men that knew how to break bones, as a team, were scourging and they were whipping him, and they couldn't. They couldn't break his bones. Imagine being the centurion, and you're not just a soldier, but you've been promoted because you've seen stuff, you've got responsibility, you have experience. You watched as your company of soldiers beat this Jesus. You disfigured his face, yet not one of his bones was broken. You've broken bones before. You know how to do it. But there's something about this guy. (laughs) He's different. It's almost as if he won't let you break him. It's almost as if he's the one in charge and not you. (laughs) So then, they forced Jesus to carry his own cross. <clears throat> and this was something that offended me in my tradition that I came up with, but I want to bring a truth to you. They, they forced him to carry his own cross to Golgotha, to the, the hill where he got crucified on. Nowhere in the Gospels will you find that Jesus ever fell. That is what's preached in some traditions. But I would like to propose to you that the centurion not only saw a man that they could not break, But he watched as this this Savior who was completely tortured, this man, was not too weak. He wasn't too weak to carry his own cross. He never fell according to the Gospels. He then gets crucified, taking the full weight and penalty of our sin on him. And the Bible tells us this wonderful truth, that no man took Jesus' life. They couldn't kill him. But he laid it down freely for you and for me imagine watching that as a centurion and this is what ends up happening the centurion who saw that he watched the whole thing he watched the torture he watched the cross being carried he watched him being crucified and he 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 had this thought in his mind the whole time i wonder who really i mean that's conjecture i don't know the scripture doesn't say he had this thought that's tom but i wonder who really is in charge is it me or is it him because i can't break him And then when Jesus finally cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment where God actually turned his face from Christ for that one moment in uh, history, Jesus cried out and breathed his last. You know what the centurion said? He was the first person to say, surely this man was the son of God. In the midst of Jesus' suffering, he takes every opportunity to reach the one person who's in charge of trying to kill him. And he says, I want you to know, that you don't take my life. I lay it down for you freely. Isn't that amazing? That's that's part of what we're celebrating today. So why don't you stand with me as we take communion together. In the greatest moment of suffering that humanity has ever seen, because think about it, it wasn't just whipping, it was the weight of our sin upon Christ himself. As our Savior took upon upon himself the iniquity of us all, Though it was, though it all was, uh, though he was witnessing, or though he was doing something for everybody, he was witnessing to that one man. And this is what I—I I, I wanted to. He was saying, "You know what? You can't break me. That's what Jesus. I believe, and 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 what he witnessed to the centurion. You can't break me, but I'm about to break your heart. But I'm about to break you. And today, I pray that the truth of that, as we as we celebrate communion. May the truth of how much Christ is for us break us afresh in a wonderful way. No matter if you, you're suffering today because of your own sin, because of life, because of righteousness' sake, the point of the matter is is Jesus put himself in a position where the Father turned his face away for him for a moment so that he could say to you, I'll never do that to you. I took for you what you deserve and now you get to walk this life forever in my sight, forever in front of me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Today, as we share together the bread and the cup, and we can kind of peel off that top plasticky part if you want. I probably should have worked on it earlier. I give up today as we share it together let's remember Jesus because ultimately that's what he said do this in remembrance of me no man could take his life but he laid it down freely for you and for me and this is the glorious truth of Christ's suffering that he wasn't too weak he wasn't at the centurion's mercy he suffered for us all as a witness He suffered in front of that centurion and didn't allow him to break him. The message says this. It says, Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to say one thing about suffering as we take this bread. Nowhere in the Gospels where you, will you find that God put sickness on people for his glory. It's just not in there. If that were the case, Jesus would have been the sickest person alive because all he did was live to glorify the Father. No, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that you might have life. Why do I say that during communion? Because this little piece of bread that we hold up today, mine happens to be in plastic. This little piece of bread represents something it represents what it, what Jesus did for us when he got those stripes, that suffering. It says this. It says in the scriptures, actually, that by Jesus' stripes, you and I were healed. I can't always explain that, but I know that when he went through the suffering I talked about this morning, it was to make a payment for you and for me. So if you're sick anywhere in your body, as you take this today, I want you to thank God. Let's just eat this together. Father God, we thank you today. We thank you for the the, the, the scourging, the whipping that Jesus went through. Jesus, we thank you for going through it for me, for my friends, for my family. We thank you that you made a payment and today we receive that by faith and I pray that every body be made well today. I pray that every cancer bow its knee to Jesus' name. I pray for COVID and every other illness that's affecting people today that it would just bow its knee to Jesus' name and the great strength of our Savior would be made manifest in bodies all throughout not only this, this, this building but those listening to the sound of my voice. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. He said, this cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. And each time you drink this cup, remember me. As we drink together, may we remember that no man took his life, but he laid it down freely for you and I. Let's drink together. The scripture ends by saying, what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and in your actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Father God, this morning we thank you. We thank you that um, your word actually says that we get to identify with you in your suffering. I don't understand all that that means, but I do recognize that it gives me opportunity to give you glory. So no matter what I'm going through today, no matter the suffering that's upon my life, today I choose God to lift it up to you and say, God, would you have the glory? Would you have your way? Lord, can I take this as an offering to you and just say, Lord, make something out of it because it looks like mud to me. Lord, I pray for my brother and my sister. Who today may be struggling through uh, just life, maybe struggling through the consequences of their own actions, or struggling through just living as a Christian and finding that persecution. I, fi- I pray that they would find great uh, strength and joy in your word, that they would find refreshing in your spirit, and they would find strength in knowing what Christ did for us today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, church.